Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, speak in the power of your word. Speak and cut through our hearts that we might hear your voice, see you face to face, and be changed. In Jesus' name, amen. So this is kind of pop psychology, but I think actually used in coaching and counseling as well. But when we imagine wanting to change, imagine wanting something new in our life, Perhaps you're an athlete and you think, what does it mean for me to visualize my goals? Maybe you, you are taught to imagine hitting that winning shot. And the more you visualize it in your head, the more it will become a reality one day. Or perhaps you, you do go to, you have these goals in life about what you want to achieve and uh, you've, been, you've been told somewhere that you should create a vision board and put all the things that you want to achieve in life. And as you put it before you, you begin to, again, achieve those things. Or even in counseling and even pastoral counseling that I do, often I will meet with people and perhaps they're in a bind in a relationship, things aren't working, perhaps it's their marriage. Often I will simply ask them to articulate what is it that you want to see happen in your marriage. Imagine what your marriage could be and describe it to me. I think if a couple can't even put words to what it is that they hope for, the change that they hope for, then they can't ever achieve it if they can't even articulate it. And so this brings me to this passage in Revelation. What is your concept of heaven or the next life? I believe strongly that how we imagine heaven or the next life will determine how we live in the now. And Revelation 21, which we're looking at, uh, talks about what is this new heaven and new earth that God describes, that God is bringing in through his power. And I believe strongly that it determines how we live our lives in the now. And answering this question, too, of what does it mean to seek flourishing as we live in this world currently? And so what you'll see today, and I'm going to say it up front so that you can kind of track with it, that here's the main point that I hope will come forward as we look at Revelation 21, and, and it's this. Since the new Jerusalem will be a place, a people, and the presence of God, let us seek flourishing in Christ. Since the new Jerusalem is a place, a people, and the presence of God, let us seek flourishing in Christ. So, Revelation, this is a controversial book. It's made me wonder, maybe I do need to preach through it, but just a quick interpretive key. And if you have studied the book of Revelation, this you might immediately like, uh, I don't know if I agree with your interpretive key here, but I'm going to state it up front so at least you know my assumptions here. So it's in this, Revelation's in this category of apocalyptic literature, and I've said this before, I'm assuming none of you have read any other kind of apocalyptic literature in your life other than the book of Revelation if you've read it. And that just means we generally don't know how to read this book because we don't read this genre at all in our life, right? And so it's a bit tricky. And it's important to say that this book is not to be read literally. It has this very vivid symbolism that points to the realities of God. It's not, I'm not saying it's mythical. I'm not saying there's not truth in it. I'm just saying when we approach it very literally, that's when we begin to misunderstand the book of Revelation. One of the key things as you go through the book of Revelation that is that it's not also not meant to be read chronologically. Often when we read, think we have to read it literally, then we begin to read Revelation chronologically and we start trying to figure out, okay, how is this going to fit into the human history and what's going to happen in the future? 
is not meant to be read chronologically. In fact, the way the author writes this book is that he comes at a series of events over and over again from a different angle, a different perspective. And so they're actually, again, it's not a series of chronological events. Um, again, it's, it's, it's highly evocative language, but it's also grounded in imagery in the Old Testament. Fulfillment of promises and prophecies and imagery in the Old Testament. And so when, when you begin to see the connection between the Old Testament and the Revelation, it becomes a very, it's a much more understandable book in terms of what is God's story that he's telling throughout Scripture. Okay, so that's, that's my interpretive key for you. You may not agree, but at least you know where I'm coming from as I teach from it today. So let's, we'll dive in, right? We'll dive into today's text, and we'll look at different parts of it to kind of see what is this new Jerusalem that is promised. Ver, uh, verse 1 says, Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth has passed away, and the sea was no more. And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God. So you see this beautiful imagery of life as we know it, heaven and earth passing away, and God recreating a new heaven and a new earth, and specifically seeing this new Jerusalem, this holy city coming down from heaven and making its home here on a new earth. And so what we see from this description at the end of the Bible is that there is this story that God is telling in history of a movement from a garden to a city, from the Garden of Eden, paradise, to the New Jerusalem, also a paradise. And yet there is dramatic change that happens between these two paradises that are described in the bookends of the Bible. And so when we think of New Jerusalem, its forerunner in Old Testament is Zion. So when we hear references in the Old Testament of Zion, we see New Jerusalem's forerunner in it. And when we look at specifically the book of uh, Revelation, we see the opposite of New Jerusalem is described as Babylon. Whenever you see Babylon described in Revelation, it is the antithesis, the opposite of what New Jerusalem is supposed to be. And the original reader of Revelation would have thought of Rome when they here described um, Babylon in Revelation. Rome, this all-powerful, dominating force that re represented the Roman Empire uh, and all of its power and splendor, but all of its oppression and, and evil as well, and particularly from the Jewish perspective. And Babylon, therefore, represents um, all of the kinds of city building that had at its heart the glory of humanity apart from God. It reckons back to the story in Genesis of the Tower of Babel, where people set out to reach the heavens from earth without God, to reach out to God, to become like God. And so Babylon, in the same way, is like the Tower of Babel. It is humanity seeking its own glory, regardless of what destruction that may happen on its way of achieving this glory, uh, whoever it may hurt, whatever destruction it may bring to creation, humanity trying to find glory for itself apart from God. And so the New Jer Jerusalem is the opposite of that. It is the, the ideal city that is being described that God is creating that is devoid of any sin, devoid of any evil, devoid of any suffering or blemish, a city that glorifies God and creates, as humans have been called to create, in a way to glorify God. And so again, the Garden of Eden was a paradise, 
But the, the paradise that we see in New Jerusalem is a paradise that is described as city building for the glory of God, culture making for the glory of God. And so all the things that we do in our work, in our daily life, fit into this vision of the New Jerusalem, the city that God is bringing from heaven down to earth. We may think of Garden of Eden as paradise lost, but the picture of Revelation in of the New Jerusalem is not paradise regained in the sense of let's go back to the garden. The picture that God is painting and the story he's telling is we are going from the garden to the city, the New Jerusalem come down from heaven. And that will change the way we see life. And the disconnect we might think of, if we think of the work that God is doing as trying to recover the Garden of Eden, then it doesn't make sense. All the stuff, so much of what we do on a daily basis does not fit into getting back the Garden of Eden. And again, that is not the story that God is telling in Scripture. The story that God is telling is the new Jerusalem coming down from heaven that is unlike Babylon, unlike city building in the ways of the world for human glory, regardless of what destruction it may, it may involve. And so we can think of the great cities of our world right now. I don't know, who, I don't know what cities you would name. We, maybe we would say New York in America. Maybe we would say Washington, D.C. Maybe in China, they'd say Beijing or Shanghai, not Hong Kong right now. Uh, city in flames, sadly. Um, Paris, London, these great cities that represent also great civilizations that may not be so great. I, I, you know, we are in a former colony, America. I grew up in a former colony, Hong Kong, right? Great Britain is great no more. We have seen the greatness of that empire come and go. And so the great cities of the earth are built again, upon a vision that is for the glory of humanity apart from God. And God is saying that was never his design for human beings, that the new Jerusalem is meant to be the ideal city where people live in security and prosperity in the midst of the divine presence, in harmony with the divine presence, not at odds with the divine presence. Verse 10 says this, and he carried me away in the spirit to a great high mountain and showed me the holy city Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God, having the glory of God, its radiance like a most rare jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. Again, unlike the great cities of our world today, this great city is not built at the expense of nature. There's this language in the Old Testament, and Jesus references as well, of the holy mountain, Mount Zion, the reference here to the great high mountain, and Indeed, in human mythology, the great high mountain represent the sacred place where gods were meant to build their temples. And God uses this human idea and construct to say, I am going to bring this great city, the new Jerusalem, down to earth, and it will be in harmony with nature, with his creation. It is where heaven and earth meets at this great high mountain where God and man exist and live together at peace. And so again, the new Jerusalem then is the fulfillment of the Old Testament language of Mount Zion and this holy mountain, a city set on a hill. It weds and weaves together nature and man-made innovation so that they might again exist for the glory of God. 
Now, the best picture I could come up with in modern day culture is, wait, Black Panther. Seriously, Wakanda forever. If you think, if you've watched the movie Black Panther, the nation of Wakanda actually is a beautiful blend of the most amazing technology and yet wed together with nature in a way that does not seem to be at the expense of nature, to the destruction of nature. And this is the kind of thing that New Jerusalem is supposed to be like, coming down from heaven onto the holy mountain at peace with its creation and humanity, a place where everything is done for the glory of God in amongst its people, in society, woven as a fulfillment and consummation of what has been prophesied in New Jerusalem. Somehow, all of our human, finite, tainted efforts, if done for the glory of God, will find its fulfillment and consummation in this New Jerusalem. I know there's a song that we sing by Porter's Gate that's called Your Labor is Not in Vain. I'm just going to read some of the lines from it in case you don't remember. Your labor is not in vain, Though the ground underneath you is cursed and stained, your planting and reaping are never the same. Your labor is not in vain. Your labor is not unknown. Though the rocks they cry out and the sea it may groan, the place of your toil may not seem like a home, but your labor is not unknown. And the chorus goes, for I am with you. I am with you. And it paints this picture again of the dignity of the work we do if we do it for the glory of God, that God will perfect our finite, tainted attempts if we do it for the glory of God. And we will see it woven into the fabric of this new Jerusalem. Though it is a city that comes down from heaven from God's hands, yet our human efforts, again, if done for the glory of God, will be woven into it. And we will see the meaning and the purpose of our everyday lives come to fruition Jesus himself says in Matthew 5, verses 14 to 16, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden, nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Ultimately, this city set on a hill that Jesus described is not any human earthly city, but it is the new Jerusalem come down from heaven to exist here in the new earth that God will create. It is the fulfillment of new Jerusalem that Christ brings about. I wonder, just to ask for you, how does this vision of the new Jerusalem being a place that is fulfillment of what God is doing bring difference, meaning to what you do on a daily basis? How does this new Jerusalem as a place change the way you approach your efforts in your daily life, in your your, your relationships, in your work, in your callings? What does it mean to live towards flourishing in those areas, yet for the glory of God, hoping that somehow you will see it come to fruition, consummated in this new Jerusalem? That is the promise that God gives in this vision in Revelation 21. But let's continue. New Jerusalem is also a people. 
is not just a place. The new Jerusalem is also a people. Verse 12 says this, on the gates, the names of the 12 tribes of the sons of Israel were inscribed. Verse 14, and the wall of the city had 12 foundations, and on them were the 12 names of the 12 apostles of the Lamb. What we see here is God's place and people find its meaning place and its unity here at the New Jerusalem. It is founded upon Israel and the tribes of Israel. It is founded upon the work of the Christian church, the 12 apostles. It is bringing together the people of God in this place, the New Jerusalem, to live with God forever and ever. And it brings this powerful picture of all nations coming to worship God, just as we said in our um, God's declaration of peace. And so verse 24 points us to that. It says, by its light will the nations walk, and the kings of the earth will bring their glory into it, and its gates will never be shut by day, and there will be no night there. They will bring into it the glory and the honor of the nations. Those in Israel who with faith look forward to the coming of Jesus Christ will find their home here in Jerusalem. But Revelation 21 also makes it very clear to us that it's a big deal that all the nations will also come to worship God here in the new Jerusalem, that the kings of the earth will bring their glory for the sake of God's glory. Again, this picture that is painted is very universal in scope. All the nations, all of God's people from amongst the nations will come to worship God at the New Jerusalem. And yet it's to be, this, this universal scope is also to be held in tension with what verse 8 and 27 say, reminding us that this New Jerusalem is a, a place of complete holiness and perfection. And it is where the inhabitants of this New Jerusalem are also made holy by God. Verse 27 says this, but nothing unclean will ever enter it, nor anyone who does what is detestable or false, but only those who are written in the Lamb's book of life. The gospel that we say every week and rehearse every week tells us again and again the promise of God that we are made holy not by our own efforts, but by faith in Jesus Christ, who enables us through our repentance and faith to be considered completely righteous before, before God, able to enter into this new Jerusalem and live with God forever and ever. As we talked about last week, turn, turn, turn. Repentance is turning from our sin, turning to God, calling others to turn. And so in the context of Revelation 21, the new Jerusalem, we are made worthy to be with God forever because of faith in the work of Jesus Christ, because of faith of Christ on the cross who sacrificed himself for our wrongs and faith in the resurrection of Jesus Christ who fills us with life and his righteousness. That is what enables us to dwell with God forever in this new Jerusalem. The original purpose of Israel to shine forth the light of God to all the nations, again, find its fulfillment here at the new Jerusalem. If you think of this new Jerusalem, this future that is promised you by faith in Christ, how does that change the way you approach your relationships with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ that you sit next to each Sunday at church, 
with other brothers and sisters in Christ whom you know? And how does that change the way you seek the flourishing of your neighbor spiritually, hoping for them as well, the same hope that you have of this new Jerusalem? But maybe perhaps the most important thing is understanding that the new Jerusalem is the place where the presence of God will be. Verse 16, it says this. It's going to sound very out of context, but it says, its length and width and height are equal. This is the, the, the measurements of this new Jerusalem. And it's, it's basically saying it's a perfect cube. The city is a perfect cube, which is not a very pretty sounding city, uh, but it finds fulfillment of what was described of how the temple was to be made also in the same perfect cubic proportions. And verse 22 says this, and I saw no temple in the city, for its temple is the Lord God, the Almighty and the Lamb. And the city has no need of sun or moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and its lamp is the Lamb. There is no temple in the new Jerusalem. There is no need for a temple in the new Jerusalem. The way the temple was built was to demonstrate to humanity that there needed to be separation from God because of God's holiness and our brokenness. There is a reason why there was a, this whole, like the courts and the outer courts and the temple and the, the inner holy of holies where only once a year the high priest may go to offer sacrifice to show us we need redemption. We need salvation that comes from God. And of course, God is still omnipresent. If you're a Christian, for any time you've heard, God is everywhere. And God is everywhere. And yet God being everywhere in a broken world means that God is in hiddenness and contradiction. And what I mean by that, God is hidden in the sense that he is not hiding from us, but there is a sense there's a veil because of our separation from him. And it requires God to open our eyes, illumine our hearts so that we might see him clearly. And in contradiction in the sense that as we live in this world, there are often times where we feel, God, you say you're good, you say you're loving, and yet this happens in this world. These things don't go together. These seem like contradictions, God. And so as we live in this world, God is in hiddenness and contradiction. And yet, God is creating a place for us in the future where there will be no more sense of God's hiddenness or contradiction anymore. God's special presence will fill the new Jerusalem with no barriers, with no temple, with no holy of holies, no hiddenness, no contradiction. We will see God face to face. Perhaps that is the greatest gospel promise that has been ever made to us, that we could see God face to face. I don't know how many of you have seen this movie. It's quite old. Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark. I saw it when I was probably seven or eight. I probably shouldn't have seen it when I was seven or eight because it traumatized me. If you haven't seen the movie, there's a scene, you know, the, the bad guys, 
are looking for the, 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 the ark of the Lord. And, and they, they you know, utilize Indiana Jones, this great adventure archaeologist, to find the ark. And the end scene is they have the ark and they open the ark. And the scene that happens is these beautiful angels start flying out and they're like, oh, it's so beautiful. And then these angels turn into very demonic looking things. And then here's the part that gets scars you for the rest of your life as an eight-year-old where the image is burned in your brain is the bad guy's faces start melting. And you're like, oh my gosh, what am I watching? I'm only eight. Now, the whole like angels, demons, face melting stuff, that's not biblical. That's not anywhere in the Bible. But what is biblical on a principle level is that God is utter holy. And for us to see him face to face should not be taken lightly in our brokenness. And that God's promise in the new Jerusalem is that we will be able to see him face to face without any fear, without any shame. Because as we experience God in this world again, it is like there, are, there is a hiddenness to God. There is a contradiction to God. And perhaps sometimes it's like, God, I don't know where you are. It's like God whispers to us, I am here. I made all of this. I love you. I came to die for you. Come to me. Turn to me. Receive eternal life. And perhaps we feel like we see a glimpse of God for a moment, and then he goes out of sight again. I'm still with you. I'm calling myself to you. Come. And yet the promise of God is that in the new Jerusalem, we will see him face to face. And that might sound great, but I wonder if it strikes some fear in you. Because God will do this. I see you. I love you. Could you handle that? I wonder if you think about it right now that maybe your first thought is you're a little worried. Lord, I'm so broken. Lord, I feel so much shame for things that I've done. Lord, I, I don't know if I'm worthy. And yet God says, through Christ, in this new Jerusalem, I will see you face to face. And you'll be like this child who is not bothered by this whatsoever. <laughs> Thank you, Tristan. And the promise he makes is this. Verse 4, he will wipe every tear from their eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore, for the former things have passed away. When God sees us face to face in this new Jerusalem with no barriers, his divine presence just there with us face to face, he will tenderly come to us and wipe every tear, every sorrow, every burden, every weight from our hearts and our souls. We will not be uncomfortable. We will not feel awkward. We will not feel ashamed. We will not feel afraid. We will simply take it in, rejoice in it, 
feel and experience the fullness of God's love for us. Since the new Jerusalem is God seeing you face to face forever and ever with no fear, let's embrace this gospel of Jesus Christ. Live out this beautiful promise. Though there will be times where he feels hidden, though there'll be times where we wonder if he's contradictory, the promise he makes is he is bringing a new Jerusalem down from heaven to dwell with us forever and ever. Doesn't that change the way you live your every day? I hope so. Let's pray.